I went to a conference on the Gold Coast for a few days last week and that's a surprising decision on my behalf because the last conference I went to, I've been to lots of conferences over the years and the last one I went to I swore that it would be the very last one, that I would never ever attend another conference unless I was invited to speak at that conference. That might sound a bit pretentious or arrogant, um, you can take it for what it is, but I knew that I could not handle the energy of being in the room with a bunch of other business owners trying to sell to them while they were selling to me as one of the plebs. Uh, couldn't do it, it just was not going to work for me. So this was surprising that when this ad popped up on, on the socials, I felt compelled to be there. And I wrestled with myself because, like, yeah, sure, you're going to suffer by going to the Gold Coast. That's going to be a terrible thing to do and, uh, you know, stay in a nice hotel and eat nice food and hang out with some good people and do something fun. Um, But I just knew how terrible I'd felt the last time. And and I knew that, like, I I try and be a rational decision decision maker. I'm very much a, a heart person i get led by my intuition i have a gut feeling about things i'm much more likely to make decisions based on feel rather than um you know a a rational process but i i do find it very important to be rational to be conscious to be thought through to collaborate with Catherine, to not just um you know make decisions on a whim so this was surprising to me and and it kind of timed well because uh which added to the decision about it being right because I got invited to speak. I got invited to speak at a conference on uh, at Noosa at the week, the, uh, two days before, and so it seemed like a perfect timing. And uh, I also got invited to catch up with a mate on the Gold Coast who had been hoping to catch up with for some time. So it seemed like all the timing happened and it was all perfect, um, and which increased my confidence that I was making a good decision. And then the conference owner who invited me to speak ghosted me and uh, didn't hear another thing from him. So I'm waiting to book flights and book travel arrangements and accommodation and didn't hear from me. And, and my friend went silent for two weeks too. And so I just thought, wow, the two things that kind of guaranteed that this was a good decision, both of those have dropped away. And, and now I've just got the conference, the one I was most nervous about. Ah, well, roll the dice and I'm still going. So um, uh, the friend just after I booked uh, got back to me and that all worked out and we had a great great catch up, but the conference owner uh, didn't get back to me. So uh, it, it was a, a high level of suffering for a few days at the conference, which might sound strange to you because I'm on the Gold Coast, beautiful part of the world, um, you know, doing something nice, but just the uncertainty of why am I here and was this a good decision and is this going to hurt and um, I, I want this to be meaningful. I want this investment to pay off, and I'm not sure that it will. And and I'm on, I'm on, on my own. I don't know anyone else here, so I've got to manage my whole my energy the whole time. I've got to stay open. I can't. Uh, and even though I know some of these speakers are going to hurt me, I know that it, if you go to a conference, there will be some good speakers. There will be some terrible speakers. There'll be a bunch of horseshit that goes down. That is just part of what happens when. <laughs> excited people get together and you won't enjoy it but if you let that ruin the your attitude then you might miss the reason you're here so it was a very difficult time and um, whether you believe me or not it, it was I was walking on the beach 
the second day just questioning my decision to be there feeling like uh you know i think i have made a poor decision and and this voice um was loud and clear inside me saying hey, jamin um your suffering is not yet complete and and that is a big part of why you were here to understand that and i was taken in my mind to james chapter one i i haven't you know, I, I was immersed in the Bible for so many years of my life. I went, I did a degree in theology, post-grad study. I pastored a church for over 10 years. I was a youth pastor for two years before that. Um, you know, the Bible was my constant companion. Uh, and in, in recent years, I've, I've struggled to know what to do with it. And at times have found it of no value at all. Um, but it's still all inside me. I love the idea that that real growth is about including and transcending so i i don't think anything in my past has been wasted nothing i regret i i so enjoy that season of pastoring in my mind when i reflect on it even though so much has changed in my world since then um, but it's all it all belongs it's all there and so there are times where everything that i've understood and read is still part of the resources that i can draw from at certain times and and wisdom is wisdom wherever it comes from. And so I was drawn in my mind to James chapter 1. If you are not a Bible person, you won't be familiar with it. But perhaps if you if you have church background, that might be familiar. But let me read it to you. Uh, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, this idea of your faith being tested, count it joy when your faith is tested. Because when it is tested, that produces patience. In another version it says, sorry, it produces perseverance. In another version it says patience. In another version, endurance. In another version, steadfastness. Uh, all that so the perseverance can finish its work in you so you may be mature and complete, lacking, not lacking anything. So here I am walking on the beach, wrestling with this decision to be here and this idea of my suffering is not yet complete. So there's a few things for you to know about that. I'll, I'll unpack um, what faith is in a minute, but let me just tell you my suffering because um, there have been seasons in my business journey where I've suffered financially and really been in all kinds of difficulty off the back of my desire to make this work and my desire to pick a very narrow path and to overcome my own limiting beliefs and my own insecurity and my own money story and so there have been times where money has been so difficult um, the last three years has not been that experience at all i feel like in in so many ways the relationship that I have with myself manifests in the relationship I have with money and I, I am in a very abundant space and so money is not a thing that I'm concerned about at all and that's a lovely experience so I do not suffer financially but my suffering is obscurity and and you can take that for what it is it might sound arrogant well I don't know what it sounds like but let me tell you it is my suffering because because I know who I am so this idea of um, being on the bench or being playing in a very small place uh, with not to discount the wonder of any of the clients that I work with but I know who I am and I know that I have uh, this 
in, intention and desire to play on the world stage to bring a message at a global level and that's where I belong I know that and I don't need to belong there I just know that is what's inside me and so when I reflect on the experience of where I get to play um, it's obscure it's small it's it's insignificant in in the context of where I know I want to be and where I think I, I ought to be and so the, the constant wrestle in my mind of what's going to be the thing that enables me to break through onto the level that I think I uh, that I must play at and so the suffering of obscurity the suffering of um, waiting for something to happen you know this book that I've been banging on about the fact that I've I've written the manuscript that I've submitted it to agents in New York and I'm waiting for someone else to notice that and to believe in the quality of it like I do and to see where it belongs and to open the door to the publisher at the big end of town and so that it becomes a, a book that is widely available around the world and just waiting waiting hoping praying longing and then also pretending like i'm not and not even pretending like i, I cannot be needy that is not I, I that doesn't work for me so more than pretending like i'm not waiting to actually put it out of my mind and be content and to be wholehearted where i am now but that constant wrestle is never far from me and so um the sense of suffering is not yet complete and and this idea of faith being tested and it has to be tested and for me to count it joy when it's tested and so um, you know f separating faith from religion uh, the the best definition of faith still comes from the Bible now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is the, the substance you have when you cannot see the thing that you want. Uh, and I, I love that. So you don't need faith when the thing has arrived, when everything you hope for has materialized. But faith is the real thing inside you that holds the tension that is the sustainer of the tension and your faith must be tested and and to not complain when faith is tested to embrace the test and so just that that sense of joy that welled up in me around the fact that i am i am doing what i'm supposed to do i am running the race i am wholehearted about this and and that my faith my faith must be tested for it to be real for it to come to completion because that's the whole thing you know, let perseverance come to, com you know, have, work, have its work, run its course so that you can be complete and perfect, lacking nothing, so that you don't get the thing you want ahead of time and it destroy you or you can't handle it, so that this actually does the thing it's supposed to do. So I wonder what your faith is in. I wonder what you hope for. I wonder what you dream about. I wonder about the things you can't yet see that you're on the edge of giving up about or perhaps think will never happen or, or think is foolish or unique or no one else understands. I'm sure there's things in each of your heart that no one gets. I love one of the, you know, the key ideas from perhaps the worst spoke, spoke, spoker, speaker I heard at the conference, uh, the one that caused me the most pain in sitting and listening um, and, and the wrestle of maintaining a good attitude 
not trying to just be positive and be a good boy, but making sure I got what I needed from this conference and and being open to receive it from wherever it came from. And so sitting, hearing one of the longest speakers and, and in my mind, the worst speaker by a long way. Um, but they said something that deeply impacted me and that is people people won't tell you People will tell you what you can't do. No one's going to tell you what you can do. That's what you'll hear. No, you can't do that. No, no, that's not going to work. Oh, that's silly. No, what are you thinking about that? People won't tell you what you can do. That's up to you to tell you what you can do. And and this is the faith piece. This is the stuff that wells inside you. This is the uniqueness of who you are. So each of us have a measure of faith towards something unseen. Um, I, I love Stephen Covey's, uh, I think it's his finest contribution to the personal development space and that is his observation of the universal truth that everything is created twice there is a first creation in the unseen world either by design or by default and the second creation is the manifestation of what has already been created out there so you know the ability we have as humans to envisage something to imagine something to dream up something to hope for something to long for something but to then bring it to the earth either good bad or indifferent so that's how everything works you can you can envisage something terrible you can and then draw that into your world if that's what you see and feel and think about but also you can envisage something wonderful see it think about it say it feel it embody it and bring that to the world too but the the testing of your faith until it comes is the point of what i'm saying so if you if you like i can get to the place of counting it joy rather than complaining about it and so this was this is very useful for me because one of the things reflecting on my uh my suffering is like it's a bit embarrassing to get dramatic about the suffering if it's all part of the design, if it's all part of the game, if your faith must be tested, then there's no point being dramatic about the testing of that faith because when it happens, when it arrives, it'll be like, oh, um, yeah, it, it just had to take its time. It just had to come to completion. So here you are being dramatic about how hard it is and how unfortunate you are and how much suffering there is, but this is the process it takes. So it's coming, it's happening. And if you don't get silly and don't give up, yeah, then it'll it'll happen. But don't be dramatic in the process. Don't get all weird about it. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't have a pity party. Just endure it, embrace it let perseverance finish its work so let me make this practical for you let me let me give you five ideas to tie this down to help you take away what you need from this episode Uh, the first is uh, in order to see the miracles you desire happen you will require unwavering faith and that's not my idea. I don't, I don't even think it's Hal Elrod's idea, really. His, his work in the miracle equation was to deconstruct what works. I, I love it when people do that, to go into the world, find stuff that exists, and then work your way backwards. So his quest around how do miracles happen? How do people do extraordinary things? How do people create things that have never existed before? You know, the miraculous that seems like it's... Uh, otherworldly but it, it it happens frequently and his quest was is there some kind of formula how do people do this <clears throat> is there because if we can understand how they do it then then it can be reproduced and, and we could do it and so his two parts um i i think 
there's a way of thinking even better about it. Sorry, Hal, I'm, I love your work, but I, I'm going to make a slight adjustment to it if I could be so bold. Um, I do agree on the first part, unwavering faith, and that is faith that must be tested, and it will be tested. It has to be tested. If it's not tested, it's not real. If you can't sustain it when you can't see, then it's not faith. Faith is about what happens when you can't see it. So know that. Don't be dramatic about that. Be unwavering. Be certain about what you want. You know, that, that is on you. What, what do you want? That is the adult question. What, what do you want? What, what is the dream? What are you hoping for? And the fun around this is, because people will tell you what you can't do, then it's up to you to decide what you can do. And it can be anything that you want. You can have it any way that you want. And there is no objective external standard around what qualifies as a dream. Oh, that's silly. No, you can't do that. Oh, no, no, you're not good enough for that. Oh, no, that won't work. No, no, what, what do you want? What do you want? Are you sure? What is it that you dream about? What is this vision? What is this thing you hope for? Are you sure? Because you'll have to be sure about it. And it is up to you to be sure. Now, I one of the things that I do love about terrible keynote speakers is that they don't think they're terrible. I think they're terrible. I'm the one saying, you can't do that. You can't say that. You can't travel around the country and around the world with that message. That's terrible. They're not saying that. What they're saying is, I can do this. I want to do this. I will do this. So here's me in the audience telling them they can't. Here's them on the stage telling me they can and they are. So who's winning that conversation? (laughs) I'll give you a clue. It wasn't me. It was them. I love the fact that there's not some objective standard around the quality of work that gets published. So here is me thinking that I have put my heart and soul into writing one of, if not the best, most important personal development books in the last 20 years. But who cares? That doesn't qualify me to have the the win. Uh, One of my friends said to me recently, hearing about my desire and my dreams, he says, Jamin, like, like if anyone deserves to have a New York Times bestseller, it's you of all the people I know, of all the people I've worked with, of all the people I've seen, like you deserve this more than anyone. And I, I said, well, but what does that matter? That's not how the game works. Life does not reward deserve. It rewards desire. Just because I deserve, what is that? That's got nothing. If I, re- if I rest on what I deserve, thinking that life is fair, that's that's not how the game works. Life is not fair. You don't get what you deserve. It is about what you desire. So what do you desire? And what what do you desire? It can be silly to anybody else. Everyone else can say you're not good enough. But if you think you are good enough, then you can. Uh, one of my friends was telling me just yesterday, we were having a conversation about this, and he's Russian. He and his wife immigrated here. Uh, and, and one of the things that he was telling me is that when his wife got here, she's like, holy shit like these women are procreating and her judgment of the size and shape and look of australian women who are having families it was a shock to her in she says in russia some of these women would be taken into the forest and and made to hide there they don't fit the standard of russian beauty the 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 rules about what you must look like in russia were so tight so extreme and so strict and the pressure to be that, and if you weren't that, you would be shunned. 
and yet she comes to Australia and and she finds women who don't fit the mold of what others say you must be and they're living their life they're being married they're falling in love they they think they're beautiful and so the fun of this is if you think you are good that's enough if you think you deserve it that's enough if you think you desire it that's enough if you decide it's the right thing then it's the right thing that's enough that is a very important piece of the faith puzzle it's up to you so decide what it is that you want and and this is why i love the silly ideas only exercise if you're start if you're struggling with this if it just seems so abstract and too far away and you've never giving yourself permission to play with this, then there's no other way in other than the silly ideas only exercise. If you haven't heard me describe this, it's something that I've done two or three times a week, every week for the last 15 years. Blank page, nice pen, question. Jamin, if you could have anything, what anything would you want? Two rules, no accountability, no responsibility. So anything you write on that page cannot be wrong. Silly ideas only. And so I'll write something, oh, that's silly. Yeah, that's the name of the game. It's supposed to be silly. That's the point. You're not, I'm not required to do anything, share anything with anything. I don't even have to look at it myself. I have to go back in my journal and critique it. That's not the point. I only pay attention to silly ideas when I see them repeated as a pattern over weeks or months. Then I'm curious, what is that about? But I would, And I would never have paid attention to it had I not had the permission to play. So all my best ideas, I say this all the time, all my best stuff, all the things I'm most grateful for have all started out as silly ideas at some point. Some of the silliest ideas that I've ever had have become the things I'm most grateful for. So if you're back at that stage, if that's where you are, you don't even have faith yet, you don't even, you've never even said out loud what you want, well, that's, that's your job. Silly ideas only. Open the box. Begin to dream again. Uh, so, so number one, um, unwavering faith requires you to firstly know what you want, firstly to dream, firstly to have a desire, firstly to set a goal, firstly to reach. And secondly, get excited when your faith is tested. So that is that belongs, that is a part of the process. That's not a glitch in the system. That's not to discourage you. That's to strengthen you. That's to make it real. That's to see if you can hold it. That's to see if you really want it. That's to see if you're prepared to do whatever it takes. And in the process, become the kind of person who can handle the thing that you want. That's the point of the testing of your faith, to increase your capacity to handle it so it does not destroy you. Be careful what you wish for in case you get it. If you get the thing you want ahead of time, it will destroy you. You must build your capacity to handle it. So to count it joy, to stop being dramatic, to uh, quit the, the pity party, the extra suffering of having to wait. And, I, and I'm saying this to you as I'm saying to myself, and this is my wholeheartedness around this as a result of that walk on the beach. And, what, and, and that was what I needed to get from the conference. That was the whole point of me being there, this, this very message. So, you know, speaking to myself as I'm speaking to you, to get excited when your faith is tested. Um, the third thing is that this is to combine William Whitecloud's idea with Hal Elrod's um, because he, he says you, you have to trust your natural ability to achieve the things that you desire. So if you just have faith then, and you don't 
trust your own capacity, then it'll be abstract and weird and you'll you'll be hoping for a miracle. You'll be placing your faith on something abstract, something supernatural, something otherworldly, something that is not your responsibility. And that's when it gets weird. That's not how miracles happen. You, you must trust your natural ability to achieve the things that you desire. This is a theme that I write about at length in, in the self-permission book that I'm waiting to have published. It's a big part of all the coaching work that I ever do because by and large people do not trust themselves. Trust has been broken down. It's, it's, there's angst in, internally. There's uh, not a clean space. There is fear. There is insecurity. There is a direct lack of trust which creates great instability in the human being. If you don't trust yourself, the world will eat you alive. There is no safe place to retreat to. So uh, so within these five ideas I'm sharing with you, um, here's, here's five ideas around how it is that anyone rebuilds trust. I talk about this in the Leverage book, You might, if you've come across this idea. Um, but let me recap how anyone rebuilds trust. So. You have to be ready for five things. So if you notice that there is no trust or you, you're willing to tell the truth about the fact that there is no safety within, you don't trust your, your natural ability, you doubt your ability, here are five things you'd have to be ready for. Um, the first thing is that you would have to be ready to be wrong. So Mark Manson says, all change is preceded by being wrong about something. So um, let, let me just backtrack one second. The reason you don't trust, you, it's not just a trust issue, it's a danger issue. If, if I don't trust you, it's because you've done something in our relationship that has hurt me. And so I consider you dangerous. If that thing hasn't been resolved, then it would be foolish to trust you because I think you're likely to hurt me again. If I'm unguarded toward you and you've hurt me in the past and that, that has not been resolved, then that's a foolish thing to do because I leave myself vulnerable to be hurt again. So within yourself, exactly the same thing. If you do not trust yourself, it's because you think you are dangerous. You have hurt yourself in the past in a way that has not been resolved, and that thing is still there. And so you are guarded toward yourself because the danger is still real. So what is dangerous? What is the thing that is dangerous? What is the thing you think is wrong with you? And this is the insecurity problem. Like every single human has their experience of this. When you are young, when you, are, when you start life, you are relaxed about your own nature. You are experientially aware of your enoughness because you are being loved and accepted and nurtured just for being there. There's no transactions. You're not paying for it. You're not contributing to your world. You are more than enough. Just being here is enough to get you fed to get you cuddled, to get you tucked in at night, to get your bum changed. It's, you are enough. That's the only way you could think about it. Um, but then as you venture into the adult world and the game changes, you, in, you invariably have an experience where you show up relaxed in your natural state and it's not enough. You get hurt, you get embarrassed, you get shocked, you get scolded, you get ostracized, you get excluded. And it's, it's embarrassing. It's, it's, and it's catastrophic because you didn't know it was coming and you never envisage a day it would happen and you're trying hard not for it to happen and yet it does and so in those moments the the inescapable process is that 
we make sense of them against ourselves. So we personalize those experiences negatively against ourselves. The two sense-making questions, question one, why did this happen? Question two, what does it mean about me? Get answered negatively and personally. Uh, and, and we accuse ourselves of some lack or some limit or some problem. That happened because of me. It's a reflection of my nature. And I didn't know that, but now I do. And so, so this accusation and this agreement around what do you think is wrong with you? Are you stupid? Are you selfish? Are you insignificant? Are you worthless? Are you a waste? Are you bad? Look, what is it that you said is wrong with you? That's the danger. That's the thing that causes you not to trust yourself. That's from that moment, you never relaxed as yourself again. In fact, you, you told yourself, don't ever be you again. Don't ever show up as you again. You cannot be trusted to be you, be other than you, be better than you, be different than you. So that is, if you want to think about rebuilding trust, you've got to go back to the start. And the first thing you have to be ready for is to be ready to be wrong about that accusation and agreement. And you've been living as though you were right for all these years. But what if you were wrong? What if that childhood experience was a misunderstanding? What if you were too quick to run to the assumption that that is about you. Now, you don't have to be wrong. You may be right, but until you are ready to be wrong, you cannot begin the process of rebuilding trust. That is the start. That's the entry point. The next logical thing to be ready for is, okay, well, if you are ready to be wrong, then you must be ready to review. You must be ready to turn all the lights on and to go back and be objective about that experience. If you think about it legally, it's as though... a a case that's been, you know, a cold case or, you know, a case from 30 years ago has been reopened and the data re-examined to see, did we get it right? With new DNA testing, with new scientific process, was it was the conclusions made on the evidence found then, does it still stand up? Is it still true? So, you know, if you've accused yourself of being bad or selfish or stupid or worthless, okay, Where's the evidence that, that can be unequivocally and objectively held in light and proven to be true? And that, that is not just for you, but for anyone. If, if there is evidence that you are, as you say you are, there is a danger there, then others must be able to find it too. So you must be able to run an experiment that proves that evidence is real and not just in your subjective mind. You must be scientific about it. Where's the thing that proves you are bad and sure maybe it's there and if it is there okay well then don't ever trust yourself again you're right those all those things are true but if you do a review and you can't find it it's not there there is no experiment that you can run no hypothesis that's that that is proven that yeah you are right it's true it's not there it's been a work of fiction it's been a misunderstanding then the next thing you'll have to be ready for is an apology because that's a tragedy that for 30, 40, 50 years, however long, you've been treating yourself as though you are someone you're not and have not trusted your own self and have betrayed yourself and have separated from yourself. It's not a tragedy that you accuse yourself in the first place. No, no one avoids that. That's impossible. No child escapes their childhood without that wound of accusation and agreement. But the tragedy is that adults don't go back and sort this stuff out. So um, when you do go back and sort it out, then the appropriate 
the only appropriate response is a deep and heartfelt apology to um, make it right with yourself. Uh, you know, there are four stages of an effective apology, but I don't want to complicate the stuff even further and take you down a rabbit hole. But if you need that that list, just reach out and I'll get it to you. <laughs> I love frameworks, right? I love thinking logically. And if you can have a structure, then it's so useful because this stuff gets complicated and weird. And not many people apologize properly at all. And so that's why relationships don't get restored. So trust can be rebuilt and, and an effective apology is a central part of that. So, um, so sorry and not sorry that there's a four within a five within a five. Anyway, so ready to be wrong, ready to review, ready to apologize. Um, fourth thing, you have to be ready to reconcile. Like uh, That means accept the apology. That means be clean in your relationship again. That means sort this out. So, you know, you could have the best apology in the world, but if it's not ready to be received and accepted, well, then what's the point? And then finally, ready to begin again. So are you only just rebuilding trust so that you've got a clean space and now you're afraid to pollute it again? What would be the point of that? You'd ask if you were ready to go play in the world again, to go live, to go make mistakes, to go get hurt, to go uh, miss the, the truth, to, to fall, to hurt, to upset, knowing that there is no other way and that you'll have the capacity to fix it again if and when you do. So trust can be rebuilt. It, it doesn't take time to rebuild trust. That, that is the process for how trust is rebuilt. So recapping. Um, unwavering faith. Get excited, which, which requires, first of all, what is it that you have faith in? What is it that you want? What's the desire? Silly ideas only if you need. Number two, get excited when your faith is tested. It must be tested. If it's not tested, then it can't be real and you, you will not have the capacity to handle the thing that you desire. Three, you must trust in your natural ability to achieve the things that you desire. Four, that'll require you to rebuild trust if you don't have it. And I would say you don't. I've, I've never encountered someone who's naturally just sorted that out on their own, that trust. You have to rebuild trust. You've got to clean the space. And now finally, um, and this is where I deviate from Hal Elrod's idea because he says the miracle equation is extraordinary, sorry, unwavering faith and extraordinary action. But I like I like to combine William Whitecloud's idea around um, the magician, the way the magician's way. And so, if you trust in your natural ability, then take the obvious action. I think obvious is a better word than extraordinary because if you're taking extraordinary action, then there's something that's really big and dramatic about that and almost an overcompensation. I think the more extraordinary the action is, the less faith you have. If you have faith and it's real, if you have assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen, then take the obvious action. Just do the thing. If you have faith that... You know, you might be a single person and your faith is, I know one day that I will be happily married. I know in spite of my past failures here, my past 
heartache. I know that the future I envisage for my life is that I will be happily married with a family. Can't see it yet, but I know it. Then it's not extraordinary action to get dressed well and go dating. That's not extraordinary. That's obvious. If you actually see that, if you actually believe that that is your conviction, then go date. Go get in the game. Go live. Like that's that's obvious. If if your faith is that you have a book inside you, a great book inside you, and you're assured of that, and that is your conviction, and you're willing to hold that faith and trust your natural ability, then go write. It's not extraordinary to do the writing. That's obvious. If you if your faith is that you have the capacity for financial wealth, that there is a business idea, that there is an entre- entrepreneurial endeavor inside you, and there's many failures and you haven't made money yet and none of your things have worked, but you have faith, there is something inside you that will work. Well, then it's not extraordinary action to do the thing that that business requires. It's obvious. Go do the thing. Don't be dramatic about it. Just take the steps. I, I love it when when the world simplifies. I love it when you reduce the field of options. So if if you have faith and you trust yourself, then okay, go go do the thing. Like there's no other way. There's no other options. You don't even have a choice now. It's that's taken out of your hands. Otherwise your faith is not real and your trust is not real. If both of those are real and unwavering, great, then you, you got to go play. You, you must take one step in front of the other and, and take the obvious action without being dramatic. So I hope that's useful. I hope that's spoken to you. I've been preaching today. That's the, that's the pastor coming out of me. I hope you've enjoyed that. I hope it's touched you. I hope it's been relevant to you. And uh, if you need any of the frameworks or the resources you can find them in my books or if you want to know exactly where they are uh, just reach out and i'll get that to you all right i'll talk to you again soon